0: Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 41 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello welcome back hypnosis friends a very warm welcome to hypnosis weekly once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a fan dabby dozy show lined up for you today my thanks to Jimmy Cranky for the inspiration there. So, thanks to me having a very heavy lecturing and teaching schedule in the past month, plus a family holiday. Yep, I dared take a family holiday, and oh, you know the rest, blah, blah. Hypnosis Weekly has had a slight absence for a few weeks. We're back now, though, and uh, I've lots of great shows coming your way in future weeks. We'll make up for the absence. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest, John P. Morgan. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where the hypnosis has featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, John Morgan. We'll be exploring his coaching work and how hypnosis led him there. Much more besides, I'll talk about that later. We'll round things off with this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So first of all, today is this week's interview. It's with real great sense of personal pleasure that I welcome John Morgan to Hypnosis Weekly. John is someone I've been fortunate to meet on a handful of occasions. Uh, We've had dinner together and I've seen him speak on a couple of additional occasions too. Uh, John has a presence that I've I've always really warmed to and without a doubt, uh, someone that I find to be incredibly charismatic. These days he is a coach but as you'll find out later he came to coaching through his interest in hypnosis. John features and displays his incredible hypnosis skills in one of the head hacking training videos where he engages with a group of people one evening on the streets of London and hypnotizes a number of them eliciting some great hypnotic phenomena. Uh, the man has wonderful skills that are really brought to life by his presence and charisma that I've already mentioned. I'm going to be inquiring about his coaching approach later and we'll explore all that. Fernando, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea, enjoy this week's interview. So as I've just been discussing I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Mr John Morgan to Hypnosis Weekly. John, welcome. Thank you Adam, it's good to be here. Um. John first of all then just tell us tell us a little bit about your background um um how you have arrived at where you are you know how how you how you developed any kind of interest in this field and the related fields and so on just just tell us mm. a bit about yourself
1: I think it's a curiosity always wanting to know how things work and also a, a passionate love for human beings and human connection I spent many years traveling and uh living nomadically and meeting people and uh also developing a hobby interest in magic. I think a lot of people will come to hypnosis, at least that I know, through through that world and first I started off as card tricks and then I became really through David Blaine more infatuated with the experience of magic in another person, more so than the trick that I was doing. And so that led me learning more about the mind and psychological illusions and and that led me down to discovering hypnosis. Um how we can use language to kind of help to facilitate the imagination and the thinking and, and the thoughts and stuff and experiences and other people. Um, so I was really just enamored with that loads of reading took lots of different workshops and, and then that really married with my professional interests, which was, I've always been an entrepreneur and uh, how people were often asking me, how do you run your own business and live nomadically? And so I was kind of informally mentoring people and uh, this kind of infatuation with the mind and, and language kind of married with my, I love for helping people to create what they love in their life and um, so that's where I got into coaching so I, this journey began about two seven years ago and coaching became I said profession five years ago and full-time about four years ago uh, yeah. so it's all I've been doing for the past four years and, and I love it
0: yeah and, and we're going to explore that um, in, a, in a bit more depth with our professional discussion and I can't wait to do that Um, um, just just want to steer things Quite specifically towards hypnosis for a moment um and, mm. and I know you've you know you've trained with and you've and um you've spent some time with people. Who, who have influenced me and people who who I have a, a you know a lot of love for i 'm um, talking about anthony for example and and some mm-hmm. of those guys. Tell us a little bit you know h- how do you define hypnosis and uh, tell us a little bit about oh, good how, question <laughs> how how you arrived at that definition and, and you know if and when you 're going to use it with 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 people or with clients how do you explain it to them
1: yeah well actually nowadays i don 't even talk about hypnosis and i don 't really explain it to them it's something that i 'm using kind of. <laughs> You could say covertly, but that sounds kind of insidious. I would say more, um, just you know, just silently. Uh, but um, but how how would I define it? That's a great question. Um, let me go back and ask answer like a little bit more about my connection to these the people that have helped to influence me. Like so, James Tripp is my lifelong best friend. I would say now we met um, when I first got to London, like yeah, seven years ago, and yeah. And we met around the same time as meeting Anthony, who's also a good friend, Anthony and James and I and were part of a small group of guys who were kind of experimenting with hypnosis, meeting up in a pub every week in London, playing with people in the street and, and, and learning, um, developing our ideas. Anthony had been doing it for a while longer, um, but you know we were kind of all experimenting together. And... And playing and really challenging each other and challenging what the idea of hypnosis is and what it isn't and James has his whole hypnosis without trance thing and now he talks a lot about trance without hypnosis and so we're always challenging our own concepts and so I think um, I, 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 For me I'd like the idea of hip- hypnosis is it's a um, it's a facilitation of human experience um, It's a it's a facilitation through language often of of a way somebody's experiencing their their being sometimes as um, separate from other parts of themselves that are operating on their own. Um, so it's kind of a loose uh, explanation for it. For me, it, not, it has no link to therapy and change work. It's a tool that can be used for that, but it doesn't, it's not the only thing because I spent a lot of time using it for magic and things like that and, yeah. and stuff. Um, but actually, I, just, I didn't even think about this when you, when you had emailed me, but I just spent some, some serious time with my wife, um, doing hypnosis because we had our first baby 8 weeks ago um, yeah. and and we And,
0: and massive she, congratulations by the thank way. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you. Beautiful boy. Mm-hmm. I just spent the morning with him on the beach here in LA. Um, every every day I have been out there with him for the past couple months. But anyway, mm-hmm. hypnosis wise, we we went through the whole hypnotherapy, hypnobirthing um practice. She did every day, she was practicing and we were practicing and then she did a hypnobirth and she actually did a full natural birth. 14 hours of labor, not a single medication, epidural, anything, um, just breathing and focus. And we had a doula there helping us with it as well. And so it's applicable to so many things. And I see it as a a beautiful tool um, that can create amazing human experiences and and change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, You know, I I love to hear that. And, I, you know, I I really enjoy that. And, And it kind of leads me quite nicely on because you've spoken about um, I mean, James and Anthony are, are, are big friends of this podcast and mm. um, um, certainly have been have been really influential to me in, in a number of uh, in a number of ways. Um, tell us about some of your influences, perhaps tell us about some of the some of the books, the authors that have taught you most teachers that have been influential yeah. upon you. And perhaps you could give us a bit of an insight as to why. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I've read something strictly hypnosis,
1: but the things early days for me, and I got really started off kind of in the Bandler and Grinder um, kind of journey. Frogs and the Princess is probably the first book I read uh, on the patterns and techniques of Milton Erickson. And from there, I won myself. I think probably everybody who searched for covert or conversational hypnosis has stumbled across Igor Litofsky's stuff, and I yep. downloaded all his original recordings and listened to them religiously. And one of the things that James says about me, which is probably similar for him, that's, that maybe separates me from different things is like i'm kind of obsessive about actually doing the exercises and practicing language patterns i used to carry a deck of cards around with language patterns in them and I'd sit for hours practicing them um you know inside and then also speaking them to people so over the course of a few years i think that really kind of inculcated like a new way of speaking for me just just in general i spoke i changed the way that i spoke um and uh, so yeah ericsson stuff are just really uh, there was an art and a beauty to the little bits that I saw of his work and and the way he spoke about his work that really turned me on. As I said, I came from magic, right? So the thing that would create a magical experience kind of drew me in. Um, and of course, and hanging out with James and his ideas, w- watching those evolve and going to his workshops. Also, um, Jorgen Rasmussen's provocative hypnosis. I've always been a get, kind of a tough love kind of guy. So the idea of really shaking people up has really been always interesting to me. I've one of the things that I I don't like is treating people as fragile because I think that inadvertently creates fragility in them. And, and mm. I like the idea where you can be a bit more edgy with people. I'm edgy in my coaching work. And I think, uh, and so that, that kind of turned me on as well, his mm. work. Um, and what was the other guy? I did a course with another provocative, uh, therapy guy. of some time back. I forget who that was as well. Nick Sorry. To, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. So anything, th- those kind of things were interesting to me for a while too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so so with regards to hypnosis um you know I I've seen I've seen you in action and I've seen you do do some very cool stuff with regards to hypnotic phenomena tell me a little bit about some of the more impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly <laughs> witnessed john that I've witnessed I mean yeah. just some of the
1: cool stuff I mean it's just it's it, magic stuff that you can do with hypnosis is so fun and amazing i mean the most amazing thing is my wife's birth i mean come on the, to be able to go through 14 hours of labor in the western world where there's just so much fear in people about the process and to just breathe a baby out i mean that was this incredible <laughs> magic and i you know i owe it all to her i didn't do anything really but um just just awesome but um when i was hanging out with anthony and um, I'm on one of their DVDs to yeah. the the Trilby connection, and yeah. just roaming around town and uh, you know finding a bunch of people on the street. and it's not like you're going to a hypnosis. Uh, they're coming to a hypnosis show where they're kind of prepped for it, and then you're selecting from a large audience of the people that are most uh, open to to suggestion and willing to go along with with the. With the hypnosis you know, the creation but going into like a group of four or five people hanging out in the street and just starting to create hypnotic experience I, you know it starts the moment at hello for me the hypnosis journey and all sorts of funny things people forgetting their names people forgetting how to count um their hands being stuck to things um yeah. i really got a kick out of that um yeah. for, for people not i think there's a there was a very important difference between being a hypnotist uh entertainment hypnotist who's doing things and making fun of people and then doing it in a way that's I'm um, Really supporting people and and helping them to to have fun with themselves, and that's what I loved about the way Anthony approaches it too. Um, and what what else as far as change work? I mean, the simple things. And I'm reading my friend of mine right now his book called uh, Untrain Your Brain. His name is Mike Weeks, um, a wizard of NLP and, and hypnosis, and and he's got some great stories in there about just like the phobia cure stuff. You know, like I haven't done that in years, but the back when I did, like being able to take somebody who is whose life is really formed around this massive fear of, of heights. Uh, like, for example, there's a guy in London who, um, a friend of mine, who wanted to live in London, but he couldn't live off the first floor. And that really limits your possibilities about where you can live in London <laughs> when you only can live on the ground level. Hell yeah. So, you know, just helping him to completely remove that fear of heights was, uh, was a special thing, you know, getting the email from him some months later saying so grateful and showing me a picture of where he lived and little things like that go a long way for me.
0: Yeah, 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 I bet. Um, um, if if you go back to when you first started out with with, with your training, your sort of foray mm-hmm. foray into hypnosis, mm-hmm. knowing the stuff you know now and the kind of development that you've had since then, is, is there any advice you'd give? You know, the the person that you are today would give to that younger version of you, and um, that, that yeah. you could extend to to other hypnosis professionals that are tuning in and listening
1: absolutely i love that question um so when i first got into hypnosis it was very much a belief that it was the hypnotist doing something to the other person and it was my power over them it was a kind of a younger desire for power a lot of you know it's in the desire to be a magician so i can have more power and and that and the and the first of all it's not really true uh, and second of all coming from that place it creates the context of um, zero sum and, and it brings with it a whole bunch of fears and your confidence uh, is going to be lower because you're not going to really believe that you're more powerful and so you have all this stuff that's in the way. And so for me, the biggest shift has been my shift in orientation from trying to have power over people to empowering people, to yeah. you know, br- bringing power to people. And so now when I go into anything like the hypnotic experience or when I'm coaching somebody or something like that, um, anything that I do, it doesn't take confidence to, to overcome the fear of maybe I'm not powerful because everything that I'm doing is, is like, I'm trying as hard as I can to carry you every word that comes off of my mouth and every language pattern that I use and everything that I try to do without you even seeing it, it's not so I can deceive you so that I'm more powerful than you. It's so that I can help you to achieve something in this particular moment, uh, an experience, a way of understanding, a way of seeing, so that when you see that experience, that understand that it might open up new choice for you in your life. And so to simplify, to, to sum it up, really, it's that switch in orientation from I'm doing this to you to I'm helping you to do this yourself. And that little difference for me gives me so much more freedom and space to um, to be bold yeah.
0: and, to, and to act. I have such a smile on my face now, John. Um, um, Great. Not, not, not just because I'm still excited about the fact that I'm chatting to you, um, <laughs> um, but but because that um, this is music to my ears. There's absolutely music to my ears. I love I love that shift and I love the understanding, you know, also, um, um, you know, with, with my own, the way in which I conceptualize hypnosis myself, it's, you know, this is something that, that essentially you are doing and I'm helping create a construct and a framework and a context and, and so on. Um, Mm. but how wonderful to ignite self-efficacy within somebody, you know, Mm. I'm I'm helping you to do it. Um, Mm. I love that. And, And I think the way in which you pitch that and the way you position that is really lovely for me to hear um, great so john just tell me um, for anybody that's listening um that's just just encountering you where can people go to learn more about your work
1: uh, my website is jpmorganjr.com that's jpmorganjr.com and that same uh, username jpmorganjr is my youtube my facebook my twitter my instagram my linkedin so you can find me anywhere using that, those letters
0: brilliant brilliant um there will be a link to that website um on this episode's page of hypnosis weekly and we'll um and we'll we'll be back with john to really roll our sleeves up get stuck in to his 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 stance and his approach to coaching in just a few short moments john for the moment thank you very much indeed we'll be back with john in just a few few moments time I really enjoyed that. Um, we'll be back with John, as I said, for our professional discussion shortly. Um, once again, a slight sideways step to our usual hypnosis in the news. More of an opinion piece of my own that's um, that's been that's been stimulated and um, inspired by something that I read in the in the news in relation to hypnosis and. It was really just posing the question, are hypnotherapists aware of the diversity within the field of hypnotherapy? And i.e. is there more than Erickson versus Ellman, for example? And I recently quoted um, um, George Bernard Shaw. If all economists were laid end to end, they would not reach a conclusion. There were times at the early stages of my own professional career as a hypnotherapist. Well, I would suggest that the same is true for hypnotherapists and the field of hypnotherapy in general. As you regular listeners will know, you know, this this podcast, Hypnosis Weekly, aims to celebrate the diversity of the field of hypnosis. It's a central tenet of this podcast. Over the years, I've wanted to champion the the diversity of the field of hypnotherapy and show how all of us hypnotherapists and hypnosis professionals can benefit from the spoils of discussion, research, academic debate and the ensuing diversity. Yet my experience of the last decade alone is such that I genuinely do not think the true depth and breadth of diversity of the field of uh, hypnosis and hypnotherapy is appreciated or even known by the majority of those working in it. So for example, As I said at the sort of top end of this this snippet, just recently, I was looking at an advertisement in the media for um, a big budget hypnosis conference, which professed to be uh, to being open to the diversity of the hypnosis field. And the organisers illustrated this by stating that they welcomed speakers and delegates who had Ericksonian or Elman leanings, like that somehow encapsulates the single central debate and the nugget of diversity that this field has to offer. Ah, yes, we're so broad ranging that we will accept Ericksonian or Elman leanings. Um, the most prominent academics in the field of hypnosis have debated, discussed, researched and examined the diversity, uh, um, explored and offered up. Uh, diversity that does actually go beyond Erickson versus Ellman, believe it or not. And what's more, the vast majority of academics and scholars would probably not really consider Ellman versus Erickson as a majorly important debate. And that's certainly not meant as a slight on either of these two really important contributions made by, to, to this field by, by both men. And I respect both greatly. But I think their work has been made much more important and central to the hypnotherapy field by frontline hypnotherapists than many researchers and major academics would think or permit. In the great many hours of literature reviews that I've carried out for my own PhD studies, which has included reading in detail virtually every single randomized controlled trial conducted in the field of hypnosis research, I'm yet to find Dave Ellman quoted at all. And Milton Erickson is only in very fleeting fashion and only when indirect approaches are being examined and scrutinized. Also, if you visit the vast majority of online hypnosis forums, everyone within them in very general terms tends to agree with the main tone or central thought process of those who run or own the forum. If you have a majorly dissenting perspective, even if you argue it effectively and considerately, it's often met with hostility and there's a strong likelihood you'll not be welcome to return. So rather than explore the diversity this field offers they prefer to regurgitate what's already considered the truth or is a consensus held by the majority as dictated by those that are holding the reins. I met with senior members of one of the UK's largest hypnotherapy associations last year instigated by them to seek out my counsel and when asked about ways of developing hypnotherapy training in the UK I offered suggestions about the qualification that they offered Um, And it was still expecting hypnotherapy students to explain scientifically flawed, unproven and outdated, meaning superseded by modern research finding, outdated concepts and approaches. And I was told with regards to the qualification, if it ain't broke, Adam. And my suggestions were roundly rejected in the name of continuing the ease of keeping things as they were and have you know and the way they have been since the first day that this qualification was available a decade ago yet the very same qualification has compulsory questions about the importance of continued professional development, for example. that seemed to be an important concept to hypnotherapists um, um, as long as members of this organization develop according to an old outmoded perspective of hypnosis for example, which I find to be rather frustrating. These types of attitudes that proliferate the field of hypnotherapy do tend to deter from creating a culture of growth and development and that strikes me as a great shame. Um, As long as people keep on simply digging their heels in, defending and perpetuating the same rhetoric, entrenched in the same dogma, heavily invested in the same stance, then those individuals will not grow and with it the hypnotherapy field will not grow. Frontline hypnotherapists are the beating heart of the hypnotherapy field and I love them for loving hypnotherapy and what it can do. Yet the diversity the field holds remains largely unknown. There is some exciting stuff, some challenge and some actual diversity to be unearthed. As well as helping hypnotherapy clients update beliefs, become aware of cognitive bias and existing patterns of cognition reinforcing their issues perhaps hypnotherapists and hypnotherapy trainers also ought to give themselves a wholly objective audit of beliefs and biases and be open and welcoming to the actual largely undiscovered bounty of theoretical and research riches that it holds You see, I think if we substituted the word economists for hypnotherapists in the George Bernard Shaw quote, so that it said the following, if all hypnotherapists were laid end to end, they would not reach a conclusion. I'd disagree. Because in general, although there are a few mild disagreements here and there, the masses tend to think the same. And it's often born out of not knowing any different and not daring to adopt healthy, critical thinking with regards to what's being taught. Links to the media stories that I've referred to within that are listed in this week's podcast entry on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Now, next up, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back John Morgan. When I asked John to please come and join me on this podcast I also asked him if we could discuss his coaching approach. Um, It's it's something we've had had a brief foray into in other episodes but John has coached friends of mine and professional peers and others I've met who've worked with him in relation to his coaching all speak incredibly highly of him and his work. More than that though I also wanted to explore some of the ways John uses context and geographic location within his coaching work, creating journeys for his clients in a variety of ways that I think you'll love hearing about. In particular, I loved what John has to say also about the coach-client relationship and about human relationships in general. It really made me pensive while we were recording and gave me a lot to reflect and think about afterwards. Here is this week's professional discussion with John Morgan. Enjoy. So I'm back now with John Morgan and um, um, today I was really keen to, to sort of speak to John a little bit and see if we could just explore his current work. I've uh, been fortunate enough to encounter a number of people that have benefited not just from coaching directly with John but also the influence of his writing and the way he communicates about coaching and and influences other coaches. So it made a lot of sense for me to to really want to talk to him about that today. Um, um, First of all, John, could you just tell us a little bit about how you got involved with, with coaching and, and really what what sort of drew you in that direction? Mm. Yeah, well, when I was studying
1: NLP and hypnosis and stuff, I kind of stumbled into a weekend seminar on NLP that, and they were talking about coaching. I didn't even really know what it was. Um, but I heard this, heard in people basically helping people, uh, to achieve things in their life. And it's like, I, what kind of, I can do that. I was doing it informally anyway, people kind of mentoring people that were asking me for help. Uh, entrepreneurship was, and to be honest, I also was hanging out a lot of magicians, kind of geeky guys that weren't really comfortable talking to women. And I ended up like helping a lot of them get more comfortable and confident talking to women and so my first foray into coaching was actually in relationship dating so i worked with both men and women in london helping them to connect and create relationships um and at that time i was kind of really focused on being the antithesis of the whole pickup artist community i was really focused on character development and similarly to what i was talking about before with hypnosis coming from a place of giving and serving instead of a place of trying to have power over people um but from there, just naturally the coaching evolved out of relationship stuff into what I was best at, which was living from a place of truth and passion and creating a life um, that you love. And so I started working with entrepreneurs and um, people that want to start their own business. And um, that's basically what I've been doing for the last four years now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and your, own, your own coaching, your own approach to it, do you have a particular kind of leaning or a stance does it does it follow a a particular philosophy is it something that's an amalgamation or your own take on something else could you tell us a little bit about what sort of underpins it
1: yeah it's 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 only now that i'm starting to become conscious of what the theme is or the kind of the underpinning um because it's certainly a mix. I've just curiously explored so many different things: Eastern mysticism, you know, Western religions, every type of uh, different types of philosophies, and um, and different behavioral change modalities and, and techniques and things like that. So it certainly is a mix. And uh, I would say today that it's mostly an embodied, intuitive, unconscious confidence that I just show up and I just bring as much space and silence as i can and i just trust whatever arises from with me within me but i don't just think that that's just some magical thing that's happening it's you know it's it's partly largely a result of all of the work that i've done and the skills i've developed and the learnings that i've had that are that are there that i'm trusting to give me the right things at the right time um so but to say what that looks like i there's you know there's some themes um Principles, premises, I guess, yeah. that I hold. Um, one is that there's there's who we really are, um, which is always dynamically changing, but it's you know our deepest truth, our deepest values, um, um, what really really matters to us. And then there's who we're being, which is very often for most of us is just a bit of. Um, habits and um and fear-based behaviors and things like that and so there's like yeah. i always say there's a gap between these two things who we really are and who we're being and my work is just looking for that gap like where's the incongruity where's the incoherence um and then just closing that gap, creating more resonance and then people are more fulfilled and more impactful and the more effective in the world that way so at its essence that's what i'm doing i'm interested in carl jung's work the idea of um individuating the self is, mm. is kind of similar to this as well um and I think I said earlier about um, the provocative stuff and hypnosis, and really for me now that that's um, about tension and heat. And I like the metaphor of alchemy. I use that to explain my work a lot too. Yeah, I look yeah, at I see that. Creating a website, yeah, creating a container between me and another person. That, that it's the power of relationship. Actually, is a big thing too for me. That's a huge part of coaching. Well,
0: the, the the coach
1: client relationship relationship absolutely um i really believe that i I sum it up in this really simple example like you know how like um many of us are really good at being our word when we make a commitment to another person like i'll say i'll meet you at five o'clock but if we say we're going to go to the gym on our own at three and nobody's really involved it's just our word to ourselves. or maybe not as consistent in that and a lot of times we beat ourselves up about it but i actually think it's a beautiful perfect thing Um, that our highest capacity is accessed through our relationship with other people Um, Mm. and so I, I extrapolate that out and I believe that it's through our relating with other people that we can see ourselves more deeply clearly and we're more able to come into coherence to be more of who we are and to have more impact in the world and so I really see the relationship that I create with people as fundamental to their transformation
0: yeah yeah um Um, That's lovely. I I got I got really caught up in that. So sort of reflecting upon some of my own relationship. Mm. Um, um, Tell me then, John. You know what 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 makes for good coaching? You know what what, or or what makes for for effective coaching?
1: It's tough to say because first of all, that term coaching is maybe even more has more definitions than hypnosis. Um, So for me, what coaching is is about helping people to close that gap. And so, um, for me, what makes good coaching is making sure that people see, become mindful of the of the gap between who they be and who they are, and then really creating a context that challenges them to close that gap, to transform, to create new behaviors. You know, half the battle is the awareness. Um, And there there are, I'll have to admit, I get into periods of time as a coach where I'm, I get lazy and I just kind of have fun helping people to see things, but I'm not really doing the second half, which is making sure that they um, see how important it is to close that. And that's where the heat and attention comes in and stuff as well. And yeah. um, I'm, I guess I'm present to that right now because I'm bringing a lot more attention to that that second piece
0: um, yeah. so that
1: something actually changes. Because Awareness can be enough
0: sometimes, but not always. You know, I know that um, I mean, you, you came and delivered uh, a wonderful presentation to, to our group down here in Bournemouth. Um, and there was uh, there was a lot of emphasis upon um, and, and discussion about choosing 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 a path and and about designing or, or at least feeling like you have some um, some control over the direction your life is going in you know and making mm. decisions about the kind of life you're going in and leading the kind of life that you find fulfilling mm. is that. Is that subject matter typical of the kind of work that you have? Or is there, is it, you know, is there such a thing as a kind of typical set of issues or, or focus or desired outcomes that, that you tend to find yourself working with?
1: Yeah, it's, that's been a core thing since the beginning. So when it was about relationships and dating, it was about, like, what is it that you really want? What's your truth? Stand for that. That's more attractive. And then it, when it became focus of my work was on living a passionate life, and I had a lot of people that were leaving corporate to go do what they loved or um, to just follow a dream that they always had, and this is more fulfilling. And now it's like, what is your true path? Are you walking it? Because when you do, that's how you create the most impact in your organization. That's how you're going to make the most sales. That's how you're going to create the most clients. That's how you're going to lead the most effective company. Um, so it's absolutely – been the same thing all along it's just the the forms I guess have changed and where where I'm kind of orienting my conversation around the reason that's important
0: yeah yeah um a a really good friend of mine um um speaks you know incredibly highly of you and your coaching work and um um I know that you know herself she, she she has a number of really really interesting approaches to coaching that, that that challenge the kind of approach that that, that I have to therapy, for example, um, such as, you know, actually being out there walking, you know, walking the world with, with one's clients whilst talking mm-hmm. and whilst engaging and moving out of a kind of more cerebral-based therapy, one-to-one office-type scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I know that, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, some of the, the years that I've been following oh. your, your work, you, you even took that to, to new heights and to different levels whereby there were full-blown coaching journeys spread yeah. over and scenarios could you could you tell us a little bit about that about how they came to be what's involved in it and and, and how they work how they functioned
1: I think how it came to be is that I never had a coach before I discovered coaching I came I came into it as a coach and so when I thought back about what are the most transformative moments of my life, before just you know having a coach which are at this point how I would say those have been but before that like those those years where I spent traveling and being out in the world and having these really um, intense experiences that were quite different than the status quo of my everyday life those were so transformative um, and so getting people out of their routine into a new context uh, I thought well that could be really useful you know a simple example like if you if you, if something, if some little, little tiny lesson happens uh, at your office, like some incident occurs at your office, a little bit of an emotional experience, you might remember it or it might go away. But if you're on the other side of the world in a different country and that same thing happens, that different context has it that same emotional experience has a lot more relevance for you and it kind of sticks to you longer. So that's like one general reason. The other reason too is when you're out in the world and you're moving your body, especially you're activating so much more of your neurology. I actually have gotten up during this interview now and I'm. Took my shoes off and just walking in circles around this conference room that I'm in, um, just because moving my body stimulates um, my brain activity, um, yeah. and so there's a million different factors. Um, and the so it started off with um, just meeting people in the park in London instead of meeting them uh, in a hotel room, and then oh, if we go for a walk for an hour session, why not go for a walk for a day? And I started meeting people in the South Downs and doing walks um along the cliffs there and you know then as soon as you start doing it just there's, there's serendipity occurs you know there's uh, oh, yeah. a cloud will come at just the right time and block the sun and and that will integrate its way in or a horse will appear and that will be uh become a metaphor for something in the conversation or, or take the conversation in a new direction that serves and um so and then i just kept so since it was working i just kept extending it and i started um also, really, I forget to mention Judy Reese and clean language. That was a big part of my um, education, too, back then. Yeah. And so the idea of metaphors and um, and, um, and how much they're a big part of our language, I just started lit- listening to them and, and literalizing them. So what I mean by that is people talk about, you know, it just feels like I'm going in the dark, uh, the unknown. And so I created a coaching um, evening uh, with a dinner in pitch black darkness. Um, yeah. So I did an, an event there as well. Um, I took people, wow. uh, I took people to, I, I've taken like a CEO on the Thames River in London. Um, I started, uh, you know, far west of London and in the morning and finished in the center of London in the middle of the day. So it was, it was a way like, how can I get somebody that's in the city that's really busy, completely out of the city without having to leave the city? Totally different environment, but you're still not that far away. And that was an amazing day. And we, uh, you know, just being out of that context allowed vision to happen that, that, that six months later, this entire new business existed in, in the center of London that, that wasn't there before, and maybe wouldn't have been if we hadn't gone down the river. Uh, you never know. Yeah, um, I took clients to Marrakesh. I've taken clients away for weekends hiking in the mountains. Um, so I think my client said, "It feels like a mountain of well, Let's do it then. Um, yeah. Let's climb a mountain." Um, so. Yeah, and there's other things that I've endeavored to do uh, that haven't manifested yet. One was called altitude. People talk about high achievement. And uh, and so I hired a hot air balloon, Virgin Hot Air Balloon, and I scheduled a coaching intensive day. And had 12 of us showed up, but the wind was too high, so we never made it up. We let some helium balloons go and had a nice day together instead. But um, <laughs> And there's one that's on my uh, to-do list uh, probably in, in the next year or so. Um, I found a venue at the bottom of the ocean where um, you have to scuba dive down to access it and so people talk about going deep i say well let's go deep then um wow. let's do some coaching to bottom the ocean <laughs>
0: um um I, you know i i love to hear that stuff so so, so there's there's a metaphoric component in in, mm. in in the very context of it yes yeah and and can, can you tell us a bit more about that how, how that yeah. serves or how that how that how that serves the process yeah, I think, uh, the ways that I said
1: also, but the, but another way is it creates a ritual space. Um, the, there's, there's a, there's neural, there's neurons in our body that are associated to, to contexts and, and, and imagining them is great. You can bring it up, but what if you're just in them? Uh, it's, it's, there's something powerful about it. Um, I don't know if the metaphors are learned throughout our life or if there's something that's, you know, born into our our brain structure when we're born. I don't know. There's theories but both ways. But what's relevant for me is that there are. um, And when you put people in certain environments, it activates a certain way of feeling, a certain way of being. Um, It gives you access to ways of seeing that you might not have otherwise. And I'm just game for anything that's going to open people up to um, uh, a more in, uh, alive and full and all, all the lights turned on experience. Um, mm-hmm. Even when I do an event, like I came to London, I come to London a couple times a year and do events. And I came, um, I don't know, like last year and I did one and I want to do uh, an event called Love, love and Power. I want to talk about how power, just basically what I was talking before, power doesn't have to be over people. It can be for people um, and, and it can come from a place of love and and I wanted to do it in a unique and different environment. And I found uh, St. Ethelberg's tent. There's uh, a tent in the back of a church in the center of the city of London. And you're surrounded by this huge, uh, imposing like skyscrapers. And you're in this Berber tent that was actually like made in the Middle East and shipped in. And yeah. we're sat in a perfectly round circle. And all the windows have the word peace on the window. And, and there's music playing. And it's just that's and everybody sat kind of on these nice soft beautiful cushions in a circle and when you sit down in a space like that there's a there's a sense within you that something important's about to happen and and actually that that brings me back to the coaching relationship and the way that I do coaching I bring a brevity not a brevity that's the wrong word what the heck do I mean brevity means short I mean a gravity like a like a like to my coaching uh, relationships and conversations where I, I hold a lot of seriousness around them um and the reason i do that is just for like this tent because if people bring their attention and their intention to it with such intensity that that sets the foundation for transformation yeah. that's actually m- maybe half the work maybe more i don't know but um yeah
0: context is huge yeah yeah. Yeah. And, and so do, do you think that as a result of the context and the changing context, for example, and the the the, the, the gravity, as you say, with regards to, mm. to, to to what the context permits enables people to, to create change more effectively?
1: Yeah, I think so. And let's look at change in two different ways, too. We'll talk about some unconscious behavioral habit that they have, yeah. um, uh, changing that. And then there's also the changing somebody's um, life in in the way of a reference experience that they go back to consciously and informs their choices. Um, So there might be a, a switch pattern you can do that can have somebody get past the fear of spiders, but when you take somebody to Morocco, and they have an insight there about living a life that's true for them versus not, and they remember for the rest of their lives, the time where they're in, an, in a foreign country and there was these crazy sounds and music, and they made a decision for the rest of their life to live from a place of truth. And every time they think about what they're gonna do with their life, they go back to that consciously, and they remember that and they make a different choice. So I think back to university, the commencement speech of the president of my university, he said one thing that I think of all the time, still, I'm 37 years old. He said, The only constant is change. And it wasn't like he did some mm. unconscious behavioral pattern switch. It was a moment of experience that, that that informs my entire life. Yeah. And and so I'm creating change, I guess, on two levels, we could say. The behavioral change that I'm looking to create in a specific thing, but also I want to create reference experiences that inform worldview and, and, and ways of being that can lead to um, a more fulfilling life.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, John, I could just – I could just carry on speaking and asking you so much more. Um um again, if people want to learn more about your coaching and your approach to coaching, jpmorganjr.com dot com is the place for them to go. Um, um or track that down on Facebook and Twitter and so on as well. Yes. Yeah. Um I'm um, um thank you ever so much for being so generous with both your time and with 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 sharing as you have been um I'm um, we'll, we'll have to um I'll have you back at a future date to talk about other things as well and, and 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 how your ongoing journey with hypnosis is going okay great adam um john morgan thank you ever so much for coming and being part of this week's hypnosis weekly thank you bye-bye I thoroughly enjoyed that discussion. Some fascinating information in there. I also think that if you listen back to how John said thank you and bye-bye, thank you, bye-bye, he sounded a bit like Batman, didn't he? You know, I think he is Batman. I think John Morgan is Batman. All the evidence points to it. Um, There is a link to the website of John Morgan over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So our evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week is... That In a study conducted by Eva Bagnier, 1991, she built upon her studies with Ernest Hilgard back in the 1970s and showed that hypnosis is not a sleep-like state. And that is our factoid of the week, that hypnosis is not a sleep-like state. This study also showed, however, that hypnosis and relaxation are not correlated. They're not dependent upon one another. That is, you do not need to be relaxed to experience hypnosis. In the study, stationary bicycles were used for study participants to raise their metabolism. They were then hypnotized and proved to be just as responsive as if they were relaxed. They were able to prove that the benefits derived from the hypnotic suggestions could not have been derived through relaxation, for example. Um, So you don't have to be relaxed, you know, you don't have to throw a crochet blanket upon someone, adopt a hush FM DJ voice and throw on a load of whale music in order for people to be involved with hypnosis, you know, and a big hello to all you truckers out there but you know for me more than that you know this is great news for anxiety clients isn't it you know these are these are people that are convinced they cannot relax and may be put off by a hypnotherapist telling them you have to relax for example in order to be hypnotized the great news is they do not have to relax Um, as you may be aware I run several marathons each year as well as ultra marathons and I use self-hypnosis during those events you know overcoming pain and uh, uh, you know motivating myself and so on I would say that I am not relaxed when I'm doing such you know when I'm involved in those races physically yet still apply hypnotic skills very effectively so you do not have to be zonked out to be hypnotized who would have thought it a eh? and there's a link to that study over at uh, uh, over at the hypnosis weekly website um okay we're, we're just about through I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to hypnosis weekly in coming weeks too we've recordings from already in the can we've recordings uh from guests based in Germany Switzerland Canada the US and right here in good old blighty we'll be discussing debating celebrating and above all remaining friends and to repeat all the references made in the discussions along with the related links are posted at each episode on the hypnosis weekly website www www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next time out, I welcome the hypnotic force that is Jason Lynette hailing from Virginia in the US. You'll love what he has to say. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions, questions. Please do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else online, really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to John Morgan. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam East and this has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.